best thing to do is to have no ideas. Coming to views. My goodness, don't we love to have ideas? Someone talked about opinions and was it opinions and judgment? They're all the same thing. Just different variations of the same thing. It's all an aspect of pride that compares the experience to an idea I have about it. The Buddha says that coming to views is the greatest cause of suffering because it's what brings us into conflict with what is. We can't see and understand clearly the reason behind everything that we face in our lives. And so that's what makes accepting it for what it is, just as it is in all its pain, even more powerful. Of course we'd accept it if we understood it. It didn't take any acceptance. I understand it, there it is, okay. Hmm. So I think it's about working towards a place that may take us a while to get to, where we just feel that there is a, or we feel to trust in a process that is at work that brings good things to good fruit. Doesn't do anything other than that. Of course, bitter seeds sown brings bitter fruit. They do. And of course, we sow bitter seeds through our negligence and carelessness and thoughtlessness. And it brings suffering. But I think if we're going to have faith in anything, it's the faith that if we just, regardless of how painful things might be now, the only way to bring that out of pain and suffering is to just keep sowing good seeds with positive attitude, with kindness, with love, with generosity, with acceptance, with forgiveness. Not fighting with how things are, but reflecting that that is a reflection of past seeds sown. In each and every one of us, and humanity as a whole. And the only way to improve our lot is to each and every one of us sow sweet seeds that bring sweet fruit. So at every level of our lives, the answer is always to let go of our conflict and bring ourselves into a state of love. You know, to love without understanding why is more powerful than anything. Just to love. You know, that dog I talked about, he bounded up to me when I got here and whacked his little tail. I thought he was going to break his own back. He didn't have any idea why he was so delighted. (laughs) Wonderful. Just love. So that's what we're aiming for. That it doesn't matter what we behold, we try and find a love for it anyway. So, yes, try to ease at least the burden of your own suffering by letting go your conflict with things. It doesn't help to be in conflict. Love helps. Kindness helps, generosity, acceptance, patience, forbearance. It all helps. Ah, right. Now, how do you feel? How do you feel? Do you know how you feel? Where are you? Churning in a world of inner process, relating it back to a spreadsheet of understanding that you've got? Are you just sitting quietly and being with what's happening to you? 
One is the eye maker fiercely grasping at the experience. And the other is to just be at rest within it. Where are you right now? What's going on? Is the eye maker fiercely at work? Me and mine and this and me and my story and oh, I'll rewrite that chapter and that one's looking a little bit different now. <laughs> oh dear, tireless, tired, tireless and tiresome. Or are you just at rest, experiencing the degree to which you are settled within yourself and with your experience? Some of you have said that you feel a little numb having let go your anger. That's a very interesting thing to reflect upon. Anger makes us numb. If we get used to the flavor of anger to the point where we don't feel anything else, we may miss it when it's gone. We feel like there's a hole in us. I haven't got my anger anymore. We are quite attached in many ways to our suffering. I mean, perhaps it's worth asking yourself whether you've defined yourself by those things that you've suffered. It does happen often. You know, your storyline, if you were to write it in a couple of paragraphs, how much it would it be a story of your suffering? <laughs> who am I? I'm a person who... <laughs> You know, it's even possible that we use our suffering as an excuse for not getting on. That's something, isn't it? I'm not getting on with my life, but this happened to me. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who suffered immense hardship, got up and found the courage to soldier on, anyway, who didn't let their suffering be their undoing, but let it be the making of them. That is a choice we always have. Whatever it is we've suffered, no matter how painful it is, it's been suffered by countless beings before us. We're not alone in our suffering. It's not my suffering, it's just dukkha. It's suffering. It's the way of things when the condition for it arises. So, do we see it just as suffering or do we see it as my suffering? And how much have we allowed it to define us in a way that limits us? You know, we all take off our hat, or pay homage to those rare individuals that we see who found the courage in the face of tremendous adversity to stand tall and not be undone by their afflictions and hardships. We admire these people. Now, what if we found those qualities within ourselves? 
and said, in spite of this, I am going to stand tall. I'm going to get on with my life. Do the best I can. Because it's precious and it's over very quickly. We don't want to get to the end of it wishing we'd done more, do we? You know, even if you're quite close to the end of it, it doesn't matter. I was making a reflection just the other day. Just how much in this one year of these crazy times, if you jump completely into the experience without fighting against it, how extraordinarily you can live completely in that moment. Perhaps by letting go of the expectations that we've grown accustomed to, we were able to do things we would never have dreamed of doing. And perhaps in this one year, which is supposed to have been so hard, which has been incredibly hard, we might live more than we've ever lived before. In some way. I remember going to see my mother, the first opportunity at the end of the first lockdown, now, when I was young, she used to grow vegetables with my dad and fruits, and the garden was full of things growing. Do you know what was growing in her conservatory? Beans and tomatoes all over the place. <laughs> Tons of them, more than she could eat. She hadn't done that for years. Little things that we find to get out of the time that we have that enrich us, that are a sign that we've decided to live a little more, not a little less, in the face of our challenges. That amazing film, The Bucket List, I'm sure you, loads of you will have seen it. Jack Nicholson, and who was the other? Morgan Freeman, amazing. There they were in their hospital beds about to face their end. <laughs> And what did they do? They grabbed a hold of life and went for it. Now, oh. they could have sat there going, this is pretty miserable, isn't it? What's the point? There is always a way to find something magical in the most extraordinarily difficult moment. I remember after my back operation, lying in a hospital in the middle of Bavaria, <laughs> staring at the ceiling with a great big wound in the middle of me. <laughs> Didn't know where I was. Couldn't do anything. And then realising, well, this is all I got. And then opening up into that moment and finding the most profound something in just 100% being there in each moment. And I don't know, in some ways I felt more alive in that hospital bed as a complete invalid than I had done for years, as I appreciated the fact that I'd come out the other side of that operation. Been so close to not being here. Every day you wake up, you are a success at life. One day you won't wake up and you'll be a success at death. But you can't fail 
can't fail. It's a truth, an absolute certainty that every single one of us will be separated from everything we cherish that is dear to us in this life. Whether it is separate, we're separated from it because during our life it is taken from us, or whether at the end of our life it is taken from us, nothing stays. Now we do not need to make that the ground for living fearfully. Clinging to things in the hope they're going to be with us forever is to live in fear. To live every day in the absolute certainty that this isn't going to stay forever brings us into the present, launches us headlong into being alive. So that this little moment now, any moment, a mundane moment can be a little magic. And our life is full of them even if we've only got one week left. You can live more in one week of being fully conscious than you live in a life of a hundred years of being numb. So... Wake up. Wake up. Turn up. Let go those things that we are chewing on like a dog with a bone. Do they really matter? Are they worth consuming ourselves with? Bitterness and resentment and anger and judgment and blame? and shame and guilt. The moment you decide to do your best, to love, that is the moment to let go your shame and guilt and know that you are just doing your best. That you're on the way to being alive finally. So, It's time to stop expecting the world and other people and life to be something different. It is what it is. And goodness me, it is an extraordinary thing. Unbelievable. So profound and so rich and so mysterious and so beautiful. And there is something at work within it that will move us to tears every time we remember it or touch it, and certainly the first time we discover it. That for all the chaos and confusion and despair and suffering we witness in the world, that is only a forgetfulness and not knowing or remembering and the confusion of that. And what did we forget? That would cause us to do these crazy things we tried to do. We forgot that it's love. That it's just love expressing itself. And we turn it into the not love expressing itself. 
forgetting it. Now don't be angry. Try not to be angry with it. Maybe shed a tear, but a tear of compassion that loves it to death and so badly wants it to find that love again. But please, let's stop judging it. Because it's confusion and that is painful. Do you know how hard you have to work to find that love again within you? And you know it's worth working hard to do. That's the truth for everyone. And some, it will be much harder than it is for you. Much harder. So, love them all. Love everyone. With every breath. Until you've run out of breath. And then maybe by the end of this life, you'll have seen what this is. <laughs> then you'll say thank you for sure. You know, no matter how much pain you might be experiencing, there is an end to it. And there is a way to that end. And it starts with finding the courage to love yourself. And it ends <laughs> with finding the, whatever it is, to love everything boundlessly. Watch and all, as it is. So, You know that there in your heart, right in there, in that bit, <laughs> knows that. And this bit just got in the way. You know that because you've been living that your entire life. Love and smothering it. <laughs> Trying to feel love and smothering it. Get out of the way. Peel away the eye maker. Stop layering your ideas over what life is. It was that before you got here and it will be that long after you're gone. And it doesn't wait because you haven't figured it out yet. It rolls. It's inexorable. Intelligent. That at one level, it's always perfect. And although that is painful to acknowledge, difficult to perceive, when we really see, what we see is that that's the truth. I thought I'd come back to answer the question about grief because I think this is actually very, very important. A couple of you asked about grief and love, the pain of grief for somebody who we love dearly. 
and how do we reconcile these two things? Now, grieving the loss of someone who is dear to us is a, 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 a wholly human thing. And the pain of that separation is something that is really important, that we give ourselves the space to honour it. So there is healthy grief, there is healing grief, there is a way of grieving that is a way of honouring what we've shared with someone and the absolute knowledge that it's over. That's a profound experience and we're all going to experience it. But then there is unhealthy grief, which is the result of I'm not willing to accept, I wasn't willing to accept, I couldn't come to terms with the certainty and truth that I was always going to be separated from those that are dear to me. Now that is not healthy, because it leaves us in a place of pain that stops us opening up again. Now if we grieve in a healthy way and honour what we've shared with someone, what remains in their passing as we come out of our grief is a profound sense of gratitude for what we had and shared. And that is a beautiful thing. And we can continue to honour our loved ones long after they've gone with a reflection of loving kindness and gratitude and we can share our merits with them. But to, to, to be suffering the pain of loss years afterwards is not healthy. It is not um, for our well-being. And in order to get beyond that, then we make the reflection, painful though it might be at first, but very, very important, that everything that comes into our lives, no matter how precious it is to us, we are going to experience separation from it at some point, that nothing stays forever. And that the true state of love is a love in the moment that knows this could be gone forever, tomorrow. And the only response when it's gone is thank you for the fact that it was there. Now this we call appreciative joy. To appreciate what is beautiful with gratitude rather than out of fear, hold desperately onto it. Now, some people live in fear of losing those who they love, even while they are still with them, to the point that their whole relationship with someone that is important to them is fraught with fear. Now, that may well be the result of a traumatic loss in the past or a past life that we haven't managed to integrate. There is a very famous story during the time of the Buddha about a young mother whose child died and soon after it was born, who was so overcome with grief she couldn't come to terms with it and she carried her dead child with her wherever she went and she was going mad. And people were telling her, your child has died. No, it's not, it's sleeping, it's sick, it's coming, going to get better again. And she was going mad. Anyway, one day she just stumbled across a camp where the Buddha was staying and she entered looking completely disheveled with this dead child in her arms. 
And some of the monks tried to sort of block her passage because it was a woman just entering in with a dead child looking completely crazy. And the Buddha said, no, please bring her, bring her to me. And she came before the Buddha and the Buddha said, what can I do to help you? And she said, you're the Buddha. I've heard you can perform miracles. Please heal my child. To which the Buddha said, if you want to heal your child, you must go to the local village and you must bring me back a medicine. Bring me back some mustard seeds and we will see if we can heal your child. And she was delighted and she was about to head off to the village to get the mustard seeds when the Buddha said, but you must get the mustard seeds from a house in which no one has died or it won't work. So this Kisagotami, which was her name, she went off to the village and she knocked on the first door and she said, do you have mustard seeds? Of course we do. And they presented the mustard seeds and she said, well, I must ask, has anyone died in this house? To which they said, yes, our grandmother died only last week. It's very kind, but I can't accept your mustard seeds. And she moved on to the next house where she was given mustard seeds but the uncle had died and the next and the brother had died and the son had died and the daughter had died and the father had died and the mother had died and she went through every single house in the village and not one house did she receive mustard seeds where nobody had died in the house. She was distraught. She went back to the Buddha. She said, I, I went to every house in the village. There was mustard seeds everywhere but not one house where nobody had died. Please, please make some medicine. Some other way that will heal my child. And the Buddha said to her, she said, was there not one house where no one had died? And she said, no, every single house I went to, someone had died. To which the Buddha said, all conditioned things are impermanent. That which is of the nature to arise is of the nature to pass away. And in that moment, Kisagotami realized that her child that had died, though tragic it was that it died so young, that this is the way of things. And sooner or later we will all be separated from what is dear to her, to us. And in that moment she overcame her grief and accepted the loss and let her child go and they performed ceremony for the child. And she actually took refuge and went on to become an arahant. So when we grieve, let our grief be a way of honoring someone who has been precious to us as a process of accepting life as it is and letting them go. So grief is an extremely important part of life. We will experience it with profound loss. But in that grief can be a deep feeling of love that doesn't need to transform into a state of despair. When we accept it as the truth, it helps us open more completely to this life which is precious and brief and ultimately impermanent. All right. So that's really 
I think, an important reflection on grief. Losing someone who's dear does not need to be the cause of our shutting down our capacity to love. And sometimes it can. All right. Well, yeah.